Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, hey, today's episode is one that is going to be really, really special, and you guys are in for a treat. Our guest is someone that we've not had on the podcast before, but he is someone that has been a huge influence on me over the last year and a half when it comes to sales. And that started because about a year and a half ago, I was in Las Vegas for the NCSG Chimney Sweep Convention, and I went to a sales course taught by Ryan Hall, who is a field operations chief at Winston's Chimney. And this sales course blew me out of the water. I mean, it blew me out of the water. It was by far one of the best sales classes I've ever taken in my life. And I I was just taking copious notes. And I'm looking around the room at other people And I'm seeing some pretty heavy hitters in the chimney world that are just like jaws on the floor, just like eating it up. And I'm really excited for you guys to get to meet Ryan today. Now, Ryan is a chimney technician who lives and breathes the things that he's talking about when it comes to sales. And and you're going to hear him talk about this. I mean, this guy is based in the heart of Washington, D.C., and you would not believe the types of chimneys he's sweeping. You wouldn't believe it. Now, as I've gotten deeper and deeper into the industry, I feel like we we have these two sides of it that are very different. We have the fireplace appliance side, which is the side that I came up, and then there's the chimney sweep and service side. And as I've gotten to know each side of the industry, I, I feel like when you come up on the fireplace retail appliance side, and you've got nice stores and beautiful showrooms, it can be easy to think about chimney technicians as, oh, they're just these guys that you know work out of their truck, and yeah, they sell a chimney sweep, but you know we're the ones that are making the real sales. And, and I'll just tell you that that is not true. There are many chimney companies around the country that have technicians in the field that are top flight salespeople whose numbers absolutely destroy the average retail store. And, you know, talking to to Ryan in today's conversation, like no joke, by himself, he sells more than many of the retailers in this industry. I, I would actually guess no joke that by himself out of his, out of this one truck a year, I would guess that he sells more than 25% of the retail stores in our industry. I mean, think about that. Like, he really, really knows what he's doing. And I don't mean to just, you know, make it a, a puff piece for him. But when I heard him talk about his sales process, it blew my mind because there was so much wisdom that didn't come from theory. It came from doing it year after year and showing empathy to your customers and listening and thinking about how do I come across? Do I come across as, as overbearing or confrontational? And I walked away with so many nuggets from Ryan's course, and so we're going to have him on today. Now, as you know, we're in a series on the seven steps of the sales process, and today's episode is on step three, which is advise a solution, and that's built on steps one and two, greet the customer and understand the problem. And as me and Ryan get into it, you'll hear us say like, 
you can't do step three without steps one and two. You can't advise a solution to the customer when you haven't built trust with them through an initial greeting and when you haven't taken the time to understand their problem. And this is why this step of the process uses really specific language. It's not step three, make your pitch. It's not step three, present your product. It's step three, advise a solution. Because I can't advise unless I understand. But my goodness, if we've understood the problem, there's some amazing ways that we can advise a solution. And so I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation today. It was an honor for me to get to talk to Ryan and I'm going to share some thoughts as well on the back end. But for now, I'll step out of the way and let you hear this conversation. Joining me from Remington, Virginia, is the field operations chief and senior tech at Winston's Chimney. I'm here today with Ryan Hall. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me. Man, I have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. And I actually, I talked about this in the intro of the episode. But Ryan, I had been emailing with you back and forth for the better part of a year as you guys got signed up for Wi-Fi. But I, I'd never seen you in your element until about a year and a half ago in Las Vegas. And I went to a sales course that you taught and it blew my mind. I mean, like, I'm not joking when I say it was, it was one of the best sales classes I've ever seen. And I remember in this class, there was a few other people in the industry that I was looking at. And like, I was looking at Mark Stoner sitting a couple seats away from me and we were like taking copious notes. And afterwards we're just like, dude, this is, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. And I don't mean to just, you know, just shower you with, with praise here, but I say that because what was so clear was that you taught from experience. You weren't teaching theory that you read in a book. You were just teaching like, this is how I do it. And I'm not telling you it's the way you have to do it, but I'm just telling you this is how I do it. And it's really helped me. And, uh, and that class blew my mind. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this today. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I just tried to get in there and show everybody my point of view and not be overbearing and say, this is the way you got to do it. I never really received sales training well that way. So this was a a way for me to kind of present it in a way that I would receive it well, you know, as, yeah. so I kind of put myself in the other position. So I feel like it went really well. I was happy to be there and hopefully I'll get to do some more soon. Yeah, I'm sure you will. So you work for Winston's Chimney, which is based out of DC. And I mean, you do some pretty ridiculous chimney work. I mean, I, I know you're a really high volume salesperson, and you by yourself do more in sales than actually many retail stores do as a, as a company. And I'd love to hear about like, can you give an example? Like what are some of the high profile jobs that you do and you take part in? Yeah. So we just finished up um, Reagan National Airport. They have the the Admiral's Lounge. They had a $115,000 AccuCraft fireplace we put in there. Um, We did the National Cathedral. We've done work over there working on their boiler systems as well as their chimneys. Um, we sweep the, the, the Capitol buildings, we did heat shields and we just did the cleanings at the Supreme court. Like we do a lot of things where we, um, you know, in our area, we're lucky we have a lot of government stuff. So there's a lot of real high, high profile yeah. people and profile jobs that we get to do properties that we get to work on. So, um, anywhere from, you know, $25,000 jobs for just, you know, uh, working with the contractor on the center's home or, you know, a $500,000 project where we're replacing all the prefabs, 66 prefabs at court condos, which is in federal triangle down in DC. So I'm lucky that I work in this area. I'm very blessed to have that. So yeah, I'm a part of a lot of big projects like that with a lot of 
Which but some people call important people, you know, <laughs> to me, they're just clients. I treat them as a guy down the street, but, but they are important people. So it's nice to have that in my back pocket working around here. It's kind of recession proof too. Yeah. They all work for the government. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like to do jobs like that, I mean, you've got to have a tight ship. I mean, you know, knowing Chuck, who's the owner at Winston's and knowing you, it seems like you guys take your craft really seriously and you don't, you don't mess around when it comes to, uh, to doing it right, to being professionals. And, uh, I'm sure no company's perfect, but man, like you got to be operating on a tight ship to do stuff at that scale. Yeah, it's probably not as tight as either one Chuck or myself would like. We're, we're getting better. We're constantly evolving. We're constantly grinding to learn, you know, and we, yeah. we learn from our mistakes. We bump our head on the wall and we're like, wow, that was hard. Don't do that again. You know, but we try and learn from it. And we've had success and we concentrate on a couple of things. And I think we'll get into this later is we concentrate on brutal honesty. We just want to be honest with our clients. Even if they're high profile contractors, we don't want to tell them something that we can't commit or we can't follow through on so we try to be brutal honest and then training with our guys you know whether it's corrective training where the guy's screwed up and we need to make it right so we train them we train them up try and try and get it right um or we just train ahead of time and just try and be safe and trained and, and give our guys that are doing the work and selling the work as much knowledge as possible so we work hard on that and, and yeah. i think that's one of the reasons why we've had success with the the big time profile jobs in our area yeah, I mean it's it's super evident. I've gotten some glimpses into your into your guys' meetings of how seriously you you take training. So I, I guess maybe to start out, I wanted to see like, can you give us a little bit of backstory? Like you you told some of your story in that sales class I was at, and it it just it blew my mind the journey that you've been on. And I, I didn't want to see if you could fill the audience in a little bit on that. Yeah, so I mean, I, essentially, I've been this is all I've ever done is any works since 1998. Chuck hired me. I got out of college. I broke my foot. And, came home and this is this is what I did. You know, I just got into the chimney industry just by happenstance, new guy, new guy. And uh, a Chuck hired me. And as an employee, my first go round from 1999 to 2002, 2003, I was a horrible employee. You know, I, I was a drug addict. I was, you know, I was going to jail. I was on probation. Um, I, I think I even did like side work. Like I just, I just wasn't a good guy to have as an employee. And and I just was making all the bad decisions that you can make as, you know, as a contractor, as a worker, just just trying to make the most amount of money with the least amount of work, you know, kind of thing. And it just was it was tough. And then from a from a personal standpoint, just being an addict, you know, it was just addict behavior. I was just whatever I could do to get what I needed, you know, at that time. That's what my brain was telling me. So I definitely had that that mentality where it was kind of cutthroat. I was just just wasn't a good guy to work for. And. In the long run, it ended up kind of working out for me because what happened is when I finally got clean and I finally got healthy, I had burnt so many bridges and just torched everything, all the trust. Anybody that knew me just was like, oh, man, watch out for him. He might get you. You know what I mean? I was like, I was, like I was going to take the wallet out of their pocket while they were talking to me, you know? And so what it did was it put me in a position to where I had to change the way I talked to people, the way that I presented myself. I had to just be brutally honest, you know, follow through on what I said. If I said I was going to do it, I was going to do it. I don't care what I had to do to get it done. If I told you I was going to get something done, I did it. Um, and and that put me down a path that I kind of liked. You know, when the phone rang, I didn't look over my shoulder. I was just made my whole life easier, you know. And then when it became easier, then I then I was like, okay, well, 
this is it. Let me start to hone this. Now that it's not so hard, let's try and hone this thing in and really start to concentrate on being the best or being one of the better salesmen or the better chimney installers in the area. And, and it just gave me an opportunity to do that. But coming through the the drug stuff and the, the addiction and just being a bad employee and having earned a good name put me on a path that kind of changed everything for me and, and just put me in a place where now when you when you hear my name, you think honest, you think yeah. hardworking. And that was a that was a goal of mine in 2009 when I got clean to, to, to achieve that. And I feel like I've, for the most part, I've done it. I still got goals. I, you know, I drive every day to push myself to do better and bigger things. But um, that path that got me there was really it humbled me and it, it made me you know, really empathetic to the people around me and the things yeah. I did to them. Yeah. And I think that if you can have some of that in your sales process, you know, just that empathy and that understanding that, that there's another person that you're dealing with and they have things going on um, and how what you're doing affects them, you know, just thinking about that, having that in your brain makes you look human. It's so good. And I, I mean, I just remember hearing you, you know, go into some pretty, pretty deep details in that story in your sales class and just hearing about how like you turned your life around, like you brought your family back together, like your wife, your kids, like, dude, just seeing this story, like I was literally like almost in tears just listening to you because it was just, I I couldn't believe it. It's the redemption story that everybody wants to see. And I guess where that leads me to is like, I think you saying empathy is is really important because that's one thing I've just really noticed from the time that I've spent with you is you seem to be very in touch with the feelings of the people around you. Even, even when you talk about when you present and you're saying like, well, I don't want to just tell them this is how you got to do it because that's not how I would want to receive this. Instead, me saying, hey, this has really helped me. And I'm not saying you have to do it, but I hope it helps you. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you know, just like even that shows empathy towards your audience. And so I want to start to bring this into the sales process. So we're talking today about step three of the sales process, which is advise a solution. And that's built on the premise of steps one and two, right? Step one, we want to greet the customer, make an impression on them to show we're a human and and things like that, that we care. In step two, we take the time to understand the problem and, you know, we ask them questions, we look at the chimney, we, we, we go through all that to make sure we really understand what's going on. But then there comes a time where we really do, we need to advise a solution. And I heard you give so many nuggets on that. How do you approach, like after you have gone up on the chimney, you've asked the customer questions and you're coming back down to deliver the news. Like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you advise a solution to your customers? Well, first of all, I never start with the bad news. I feel like that's the most important thing. Like everybody that does a chimp scan nowadays, if you're anybody, who's anybody, but if you run a chimp scan and you call the customer into the living room when there's a big hole in the mortar joint or there's a cracked tile and you point at it and you go, oh man, here we got it. We found it. You know, this is bad. I think that's a mistake. I think, you know, telling the people what's good about the chimney and maybe even starting with that before you start getting into what's wrong and solutions to me is very important. It's the way that I do it on every single job because I I just feel like it starts out conversation from a good place and it doesn't start out with, hey, give me, give me, give me, you know, you broke, broke, bro, everything's broke. So I think starting from a place showing, hey, this is good, this is what we want to see. And then moving to, hey, this is, see the difference between that and this and starting with that is a good thing to go into as you're starting to transition into, hey, a heat shield would work or hey, a reline would work. You kind of, you give them, show them good and bad there um, before yeah. I start. 
And then as far as presenting it, that first steps one and two, get me the information that I need of how I should present it. Am I presenting it to them by giving them a solution that hits them in a safety standpoint? What's important to them? Hopefully I got that information earlier by having that conversation. So, and that'll kind of adjust how I approach them with the solution, you know, because yeah. I can give the solution, but approach it two different ways from a safety standpoint or from a sales standpoint, or from a cosmetic standpoint yep. and, and kind of give them the same results. So, um, and then I'm not overly pushy. You know, I make sure that I give the information and look like the expert, have the right terminology, have the right kind of demeanor and be confident with what I'm saying. And I also use the word we a lot. It's, hey, this is what we would have to do. Speaking as the client and me are on the same side, you know? Yeah. So that's that's kind of how I approach it as a whole there. Yeah, it makes sense. I think going back to that sales course, and you kind of just alluded to it now, a lot of people root for the bad situation. Oh yeah, there's that cracked liner. Yes, I got it now. And you were just like, never root for the bad situation. Like always root for the good one. Yeah, I've had a helper sitting there. We run a scan. And we're looking at mortar joints and the first one's good and he's just quiet. We move to the second one, second one's good. Customer's sitting there in the living room and then we hit the third one and the mortar joint's completely gone. It's open. He goes, There it is. All right. <laughs> oh my like gosh. cheering for like like almost like clapping. And I look, I could have knocked them down. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like you can't look like we're happy. We found something broken. You know, I want to hit that spot and go, oh man, you know. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's start to figure out what we got to do here. That's, that's too bad because the first two look good. I thought we were on our way to finish it. Almost looked like it was going to yeah. make my life better if the chimney was right, you know? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I don't know the context of your jobs because you're obviously high profile. They don't want to waste your time. But let's say you go out to a job where the customer's price expectation was way different from what it ended up being. So let's just say that they figured it'd be, I don't know, under a thousand bucks. And, and you're saying like, there's twelve thousand dollars here. How do you how do you approach right. that when you know that there's a divide? Well, I start trying to drop things earlier in the conversation before I just lay the number on them. And I've heard Alan say you kind of got to build the need a little bit. You know, yep. you got to you got to kind of build that anticipation in their head that make it make sense to them first before you start giving them numbers. You know, because then the numbers don't seem as crazy, even yep. though they really are, but they don't seem as crazy because they've had time to adjust their way of thinking that it's going to be more work than they thought. Yeah. Um, speaking about the process, what it takes to do what we're pricing at $12,000, probably what they, what they envisioned, you know, the thousand dollar repair, they probably just thought we were going to jump up there, throw a crown on over top of what was there, hit it with the hose, clean off the roof and we're out of there. So speaking about the, the install process and how, how much is involved in that, and how careful we are with safety and everything else, laying all that stuff out ahead of time really gets the client to, by the time you say, hey, this is $11,877.23. By the time you lay that out for them, you've kind of made the the case for it already, saying that it's because it's a lot more work than you thought it was. Yeah. Without actually saying that to them, which is important. They've come to that conclusion on their own. We'll get back to our conversation with Ryan Hall in just one second. Hey, if you've been listening to the podcast this season and trying to figure out what do I do now that it's starting to dry up for the last three years, more business has been coming in than we could ever handle. And I'm just not sure how to motivate my team when it's just not falling onto their plate. 
Well, if that's where you are right now, you have got to check out Wi-Fire. Wi-Fire is sales software that will equip your team to run the seven-step sales process. They can have a game plan in front of them to ask the right questions to the customer, to recommend a fireplace that's going to work in their situation and instantly create an estimate. It even has tools to manage your follow-up, both manually and automated. And it's something that I've seen personally move the needle in businesses all over North America. If you've been trying to figure out how to jumpstart your sales and put together a process that moves the needle for your team, you've got to check out Wi-Fire. Now, you can do that by going to the website site wifire.com that's w-h-y-f-i-r-e.com literally earlier today i was having a, a coaching call with a, a chimney salesperson and we were kind of talking about this idea i want to I run it by you but let, let's say you've got a situation where you come out at I don't know, $14,000 for the work and and they they tell you i don't know if you get this very often but they tell you oh man like we, we've literally got like, we got like 11,000 earmarked for this. Do yeah, you, do you ever, so like for me, sometimes what I like to do is I like to where possible respect a customer's budget in the same way I'd want my budget to be respected, but right. also like stand by my value and not just like throw a discount on it. So like what I found to be helpful sometimes is if, if it's close and they're like, we've got 11 grand like earmarked for this to be able to try to find something that you could take away to lower the price without taking away your value to say like, well, okay, hey, I bet this, this, and this. If we take the chimney cap off, that's going to drop you down here. Now, without a chimney cap, you are going to have some issues with X, Y, and Z, but from a safety perspective, like you could get by and do the chimney cap next year. But the reason I like to do that is I like to take something off the table to get close to or meet the budget to figure out, is the budget actually the issue or do they say, no, I, I don't want you to take that away. Okay, let's do it here at this price. Like, I don't know. What do you, how does, do you ever do anything like that? Yeah. So, so yeah, I get it all the time. I, and I do regular inspections and just single family homes that I, that's the majority of my work. So, I mean, I get a lot that like, just yesterday we had somebody that was doing that, you know, 20,000 is my budget. It was, and I think we had written it up for like 27 or something. My first thing is I never give them what they want. I think that's a mistake. If you give them what they want, then you look like you have total and that's right. of the pricing. And now you've made a mistake. So that's right. My big, I always say, well, let me dive back into the formula and see what I can do. You know, I don't ever make it seem like I can create the price or not. I do that first. I said, let me try one more time to see if I can't fudge the numbers a little bit in the formula and see what it can come up to. But I'm pretty sure I did it right. But you know, if, if it is what it is, then maybe we can start looking to, to remove items or do items later. And so I do the same as you. And then I also throw the financing out there at that time. You yeah. Know? yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I think that's a crucial thing because nobody wants any items removed because then you're not, you know, then that's right. Then you're leaving it open. You know, I can take off the water repellent, but the warranty is going to be half what it was. That's right. You yeah. know, so, you know, so you can, you can do things like that. I think that's a good move, but I do. I do think it's important how you present where your prices come from, because if you're coming from a point where you can control the price, like by giving them what they oh, want, yeah. then oh, you yeah. stuff up a big failure. So yeah, removing items, you know, let me real, let me, let me check the formulas, whatever, whatever your, your thing is there that you guys do. But yeah, that's, that's definitely a key thing because you will get the true identity of them if it's really money or if it was really, they, they were testing you to see yeah. if they could get the price down a 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like the whole thing is that you're you're testing the water. Where is the barrier? Like, if it's truly like they get ten thousand bucks and not a penny more, if that's yeah. if that's truly the barrier, and I can switch from brand A to brand B and get them in the budget, or I can remove this part of it and and just tell them, well, hey, let's do this. Like, let's get you this this year, and next year we'll do this. Like, yeah. I'm okay with that to win the business. But oftentimes, when you take something off the table. It reveals, no, the budget wasn't the issue. They want that thing on the table. And you've just said like, well, okay, let's add that back in. And this is what it costs. So um, I yep. heard you talk about this. And this goes back to you being like sensitive and under- understanding to how your customers want to be talked to and treated. You said in, in the sales class, you're like, I never talk down to a customer. And I listened to that yeah. and said, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, like, I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't be a jerk to your customers. That wasn't what you were saying though. Like you literally, like talk to me about this. This is so good. Yeah. So it, it's it's funnier if you're on Zoom or you can see me because I'm a massive man. You know, I have 300 <laughs> pounds. I'm six foot tall. I'm I'm just I'm a beast of a guy. So for me, it's about eye level, and I know it's in books and stuff. I never read it. It's just how I did it. You know, I drop my level, so I'm always like down on my knees. I'm sitting Indian style in front of the fireplace. When I get down to inspect the fireplace or measure it or, or take pictures. I hardly ever get up when I start talking to the clients. I'm always down below them. And if they sit on the couch and I'm, if I'm standing with them, I try and get like a step or two below them in the stoop or if it's a drop living room or I'll be like, you mind if I take a knee and I'll like sit down and put my tablet down and act like there's a reason or, you know, I, I'm always crouching. I'll lay down on the floor, like yeah. literally lay down, like prop myself up <laughs> on one arm, lay like lounge on their floor just to get below them. Because I, I, I've always had success with not looking down on people. Me being so big as I am and, and tattoos and just loud, boisterous voice, I feel like when I'm standing with people, either looking at them eye to eye or, or above them, I have an intimidating factor to me. And I'm super self-conscious about it again because I've been that bad guy. Yes, right. And so yeah. I'm very conscious of, of how people perceive me. And I never want to leave and the wife or the daughter or the husband, you know, Whoever was intimidated by me and felt like they weren't comfortable at any time. So I, I, I worked really hard on dropping my level, getting below them eyeline wise, however I got to do it yeah. and speaking up to them. And, and I think that makes people very comfortable. And I think it's even endearing sometimes because people kind of laugh at me because I think they know what's going on. They, <laughs> they kind of see me dropping down. You know, I look like a, a sack of potatoes hitting the ground when I when the people walk <laughs> down in front of me. So yeah, it's so good, man. And I've seen you interact multiple times in a public setting, like where you're teaching sales or interacting with people. And dude, I don't even know if you do this on purpose, but no joke, I saw you give a presentation. This is it might have been the same place, it might have been somewhere else. You gave a presentation, and literally when people came up to talk to you, you were still on the stage. You got down on one knee so that you could be eye to eye with them or or below them. And it just it just blew my mind that that's just like in your nature. But I think it's true. Like I'm I'm a really tall guy too, and my voice is loud, and I get super excited about stuff. And I know that like I I come across as intense. Like you know what might be a seven on my intensity meter is like an eleven for the person I'm talking to. And so I just got to be really sensitive with my tone of voice and my, my body language that I use, and even sometimes throwing in stutter words or us just to make it less like fire hose that someone's going to get hit with. You know, so I, I think that that self awareness yeah. you show is huge, and and I think a lot of people don't think about that. They're just like, well. This is what you do. Here's the problem. Here's the bid. All right. See you later without any thought to how that customer is receiving it. 
Right. Yeah. You got to know yourself. And if you're excited, if you're excitable and all those things, and you got to, to be a good salesman, I think you got to be, you got to be comfortable, but at the same time, you got to be conscious of how they perceive you. So you just don't want to just scream at them. And like you said, you don't want to just read from a script and just hit them with information that you need to have that kind of interaction as you're speaking to kind of seem like you're thinking of it as you're saying it. I think that's important because it makes you look human. Yeah. And I've heard you talk about this too. Maybe we can go here next. How like if if we were just to take step three in isolation, you, you can't yep. really do it successfully without steps one and two. Like if we haven't actually set up greeting the customer, looking at things as you walk up to the house, making observations as you talk to them, like you don't know what to present. You don't know what to advise because, you know, they're, they're like, again, it could be a gas insert or it could be a crown repair, but the angle of how you advise that solution is so dependent on what you find. Like, can you just talk a little bit about like, what do you observe as you're walking up to the house that's going to impact the way you, you advise a solution? Yeah. So, I mean, I look at everything. So I look at bumper stickers on cars. I look at, you know, how well manicured the yard is, how well manicured the house is. When you come inside, how well manicured is the person? How does the house smell? You know, everything, all the details matter. You know, um, what kind of pictures are hanging on the wall? You know, are they photos of like kids doing sports or are they, you know, kids playing the piano? Like I always try and really know the client and, and I'm good at, uh, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I can do it fairly quickly. Yeah. You know, I kind of just know within the first 20, 30 seconds kind of where I'm going and how I need to approach the people. So having a, a sense of doing that and training yourself to do that, you know, being knowledgeable about some things that maybe you're not comfortable being knowledgeable about, but going in there and just, like you said, what part of step two is you're they're having the conversation and asking questions and really hearing the answers that they give you or the, the comments that they say. You know, some people still, and even me, I write it down. Like it's important to have that information and make them feel like I cared about what they said. You know, and then when I present and I give the solution, I am very, very sure that I always use something from that step two in step three, something me and them talked about that was important to them or that they were thinking about is part of my solution. It's in there. Like I jab it in there, whatever it is. Well, I really want, I'm worried about my child leaning up against this. Okay. So when we go into the stage three and I'm presenting what needs to be done, you know, my solution, hey, this unit has a safety screen that's built into the unit. Matter of fact, it can't ever come off the unit because it's code to be there. So it's it's got to be on there. So if somebody ever bumps into it, nobody's skin's coming off their fingers, you know? Yep. Even yep. if the kid's not reacting way, I always try and use something that they tell me in my solution. I think that's yeah. it's a mistake not to. It also shows that you listen to them so they feel heard, you know, and then and then you're, you're selling and presenting a solution to the problem that they want to hear. You know, they don't want to hear about how great this thing puts out heat when heating wasn't ever a question. So it's very important to have that information. Yeah, and in order to do that, like, you actually have to know your product or your service really, really well in order to hold stuff back, right? Because it's easy just to read the brochure, like, well, you know, when when you use this type of crown coat, you'll get this, this, and this as a benefit from it. You got to yeah. know it really well to hold stuff back, right? Yep. It's your, it's your craft. So, you know, I'm selling appliances. I'm selling masonry work. Those are, that's my craft. I should know about it. I should know about repointing and tuck pointing and masonry repairs. I should know about appliances and, and gas appliances. Even to today, I'm not as 
well-versed in everything as I'd like to be. Um, but I, I challenge myself weekly to do research and read manuals and read, you know, reviews and stuff like that and see what things are going on. I know I've had conversations with you where we call even just in the last couple of weeks where we're like, I don't know what this appliance is. And the, you know, the Enviro rep comes in and we talk to them, like, I'm going to talk to the Supreme rep, like having those conversations and getting presentations on their new stuff and how they sell it and what they think are key focal points of why their unit better, man, just, just always constantly just being that sponge that sponges it in. It, it's super helpful because if you stand there and you really don't know the product and you're just, you're just selling something because, you know, that that's the one they asked for, then it, you definitely come across as, as more of a salesman and not so much yeah. as a relief valve for them or, or a yeah. solution yeah. to their problem. Yeah. A hundred percent. I was talking again with, with a guy earlier today and we were discussing how, you know, you need to come across as both a professional and a friend, like professional first friend second, but like you need both of them. Like they got to know you're a pro. Hey, they can do this. They're competent to do it, but also like a friend. Hey, if I was in your shoes, this is what I would do. You know, like you, you need, yeah. you need both of those things. Um, I, this is taking a little bit of a turn, but maybe we can end here and it doesn't actually have to do a step three. I just, I just think it's something amazing. I heard you talk about, you said that at one point you, you used to do more appointments per day. And when you went to less per day, you started selling more. And I'd just love to hear about like, yeah, just like how you structure that. Yeah. So there was a company that I worked for and I won't name them because I like the guy that owns it. He's a great guy. But um, I was doing eight to 12 appointments a day. You know, I would start at eight o'clock in the morning. There were one hour windows and we would just show up. We'd clean the chimney, write a proposal, throw, make a paper airplane out of it, throw it out of it, run to the truck, get in the truck, drive the next job and, you know, do the same thing. And it was like 10, 12 hours a day. We worked five, six days a week. And it was just, it's a madhouse. And I had a good sales ratio. Then it wasn't terrible. It was probably 45% or something, you know, but I wasn't really concentrating on the sale or the client. It was just, it was volume. It was just about get as much done as you possibly can. Well, one of the great things about working for Chuck and Winston's is they collect data. And they know what our percentages are, what we're successful at selling, what we're not successful at selling. They know our close ratio or follow-up ratio. Like they just collect that data um, thanks to April and Compass and, and yeah. the Direct Connect solution. Like we have all that data. I can look at all that. So we were able to determine, and, and April was helped with this, we were able to determine that some techs at two jobs sell more and some techs at five jobs sell more. Some techs, well, for me... I went from five jobs to two jobs a day scheduled by the, by the call center. You know, that's what I did. I go, went to two jobs a day. And when I did that, my sales ratio went up like a quarter, like 25%. Like it went from wow. 50% to almost 75%. And the reason is, is because I'm not rushed. I'm not panicky. I, I take the time on the way to the call before the call to really listen to the phone call. Like we listen to our phone calls. If they went into Wi-Fi and looked at stuff, I look at their profiles that we get from you guys. Like I just get as much information as I can. Shoot, I'll even look up, you know, the the date on the house and and look under Willow at the house sometimes just to kind of get a glance at it before I go if I got time. And this from before the job to during the job to after the job, like how fast I pull off and and send it and everything else. I just was able to slow down and really concentrate on my process and it's paid off big time on days. I still get days where I got four or five jobs and we go back and look and I sell less. It's just, mm. just the way it is. It's something about 
you know, it's chimney day for the client on their calendar. It says chimney cleaning, you know, so to be able to spend the time with them to get them to go through the whole sales process or one through seven and then follow up with them later, you just have such a higher success rate and people feel like they're not just one of many. They feel like you're there to really help them. And I will never go back to doing that many jobs a day. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and then because I was spending more time, I'm more valuable. So my prices are a little bit higher because I'm, I'm giving them the time. They're getting value. My inspection fees are a little bit higher. The cost to do the work because they're getting that time from me that, that my other clients didn't get before. Yeah. Does that make sense? Dude, it totally does. This has been so good. And it's just amazing, like the transformation story. And, and I think back to myself, like, man, my first four years in the industry, I was a very mediocre installer working for the man who became my father-in-law. I was dating his daughter at the time. And dude, I was not a good employee. I mean, if you were to go back and ask the installer that trained me or the service tech that trained me, dude, they would say, Tim is lazy. He doesn't care. He's like flaky. And I was all those things. Just the fact you were dating your, your boss's daughter was a problem. Man. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, yeah, like all the above. And and that's where like, I'm so thankful in, in the same way that like you feel thankful to Chuck and you want to do right by him. I don't work for my father-in-law anymore, but I'm, I'm so thankful to him. And even in the work that I yeah. do now, like I want to do right by him. Like I want to be able to say he was the one that gave me a chance. He stuck by me when other people would have fired me. And uh, man, dude, for my wife too, like same thing, man, she stuck by me when, you know, a lot of other people would have found somebody else. And it's amazing yeah. when you have those people in your life to help you. Yeah. I mean, you're selling the same thing I'm selling, man. It's like, you know, the people around you, I think that's important as a salesman to feel like you're working in an environment or have people around you that can support you in what you do. Cause it's our, it's our work. It's not just working eight to three or seven, nine to five and, and work. And then you go home and shut it down. Like you go home and you read, you, you give yeah. build knowledge. You listen to the, to the podcast. You know, if you don't do stuff like that, then you're not honing your craft. And if you don't have people around you, like your father-in-law, like Chuck, like your wife that, that support that and allow you to do it, then you're going to have a ceiling that me and you don't have to him. We don't have that ceiling, you know, cause we got people around us that, that push us and want us to do better. Yeah. Well, Hey man, I know that you are starting to make the rounds, becoming a teacher. You're going to be at the Northeast HPBA this year as the keynote speaker. Is there anywhere else coming up that you're, that you're booked to speak? Yeah. So on the 30th, I'm going to a workshop at Stoner's Place and Ashbuster. So I'm going down there for, for a little workshop real quick, fly out uh, on the 29th and stay in at 30. I think that's something in-house there. And then I've gotten a couple other things that nothing's set in stone, but yeah, I'll have some stuff. And then, of course, you know, I'm always willing if anybody wants me to come on and talk about stuff. I'm, I'm more than happy to do I'm an open book and I'm a talker. So be ready. You know, I'm never short of words. That's for sure. So if anybody ever has anything, and I've always said this in my presentations, everything. I talk to companies all the time. Guys call me from Chicago. I don't think I'm always willing to help. If anybody ever needs any help, man, especially on step three, I'm, I'm in. I, you know, I really appreciate it, Tim. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man, this has been so good. I, I love the work you're doing, and it's been amazing having you here. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Ryan Hall. I think that there is so much gold to dig into there. Now, first off, like from listening to Ryan, it's so clear, again, that what he's talking about is what he lives and breathes. I mean, 
when when you're winning jobs at the Capitol building, in the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., when, when you're selling $140,000 custom fireplaces out of your truck, you've got to be pretty good. And listening to him, I just love that there is no pretense. There's no ego. He just says like, hey, this is how I do it. And I've had some success with it, and maybe this can help you too. What I really took away, you know, being in the conversation and then and then even just thinking about it now, like everything starts with empathy. Everything starts with empathy. When you empathize with the problem that your customer has, it puts you in a position to advise a solution really, really well. And I was actually talking with somebody about this the other day that I think when we're in a showroom or in a in-home or on-site sales situation... We need to speak to people the way that we would want to be spoken to. And it's easy to hide behind big words and industry terminology and things like that to protect ourselves or to try to build ourselves up to look smart. But we got we to clear that away and talk to people like a friend. Now, we're still a professional. Like I, I think on the hierarchy, it's professional first, friend second. But we need to act like a friend to our customers. And, and you can tell from talking to Ryan, like, he empathizes with the people that he's serving. And, and that puts you in a position right there to say, hey, here's what I would advise based on everything that I'm seeing. One of the things I thought was super good was, was when he talked about not starting with the bad news, right? Like don't root for bad news for your customers. When, when, when you're in the home and, and you find out that there's an issue with the chimney or something came up in their project, so it's going to cost them more money or they need to have a change order, don't celebrate that. Don't don't root for that. And and I love the way that, that that he presented that. Like, hey, you know this this joint looks good. Hey, this one looks good too. Okay, that's great. Oh man, yeah. I mean, this one's got some cracks, and I was hoping that it'd, it'd be just like the others. I mean, you want to show your customers that you really do care about them, and when they know that you care and that you understand, it makes them so receptive to listen to the solution that you're offering. Now. When it comes to advising a solution, I believe what we hit on at the end is, is so true that you can only talk about things that directly correspond to the problem that your customer had, right? You know, if you find out they've got little kids and you're selling a gas insert, you should talk about the safety screen nonstop. They probably don't need to know what direct vent technology is necessarily. Now, if it's a situation where the people are really sick of the draft, they want something that works in a power outage, and they want to be able to heat their family up, well, then talking about what direct vent technology can do, it might be really helpful. But when you advise that solution, you can't say, oh yeah, these fireplaces use direct vent technology. And what that means is that there's an, there's an intake pipe and then there's an exhaust pipe as well. And so it uses combustion air from the outside instead of your house. You can't explain it that way. You know, on a scale of A to Z, you got to explain things at an A or a B. You, you can't go all the way to the end of the alphabet. And and so when we're advising a solution, you know, there, there's there's really two things we need to keep in mind. One, like we said, making sure that the only information I'm giving the customer is relevant to solving their problem. And two, that I'm explaining it in a way that makes sense. And And I find myself all the time during this part of the sales process using word pictures and analogies, right? So like if they have a central furnace in their house and you're gonna be putting in a wood insert or a gas insert, using the analogy of like, hey, so I noticed that you have a central furnace system in your garage and that's what I have in my house too. Now, 
Central furnaces are really good at heating up a large area to a given temperature to make sure that the house doesn't freeze. But where central furnaces struggle is if you're cold in your living room and you turn the thermostat up, say, from 68 to 69 degrees, well, that furnace can't segment which parts of the house it heats. So it's literally going to turn on and heat up every square foot of the house just to bring your living room up to temperature. And that's not the most efficient use of energy when you are in the living room and you're not in the back bedrooms of the home. And, and it would kind of be like if every time you turn on the light switch in the living room, if all the lights in the house turned on, it's just not the most efficient use of energy. So what's going to be really cool is when we put in this wood insert, we're going to put it right here inside your fireplace and it's going to immediately warm up this space here and create a comfort zone in this area where your family hangs out most of the time. And now over time, that heat's going to radiate its way out to the rest of the house. But what's going to be amazing is that your furnace isn't going to come on and go off. So you can actually turn your thermostat down and use the furnace to do what it's really good at. Keep the house from freezing. But use this right in your living room to heat up the space where your family is because this can operate at a fraction of the cost of your furnace to warm this space up. So for me, that's the way that I will explain how a wood insert works. If it was a gas insert, I have a slightly different story that explains what direct vent technology is, but it's very, very similar. I want to use word pictures and analogies like the light switch or, you know, it'd be like if every time you went to wash your hands, if you, if you turn on the sink downstairs to wash your hands, if every sink in the house turned on, plus the garden hose outside, it's just not the most efficient way to conserve water if you don't need to wash your hands in every room of the house. So finding word pictures and analogies you can use to take an abstract concept and bring it to light for them is really powerful. Now, circling back to only talking to them about what is specifically relevant, you know, this goes to Donald Miller. And in his book, Building a Story Brand, he talks about this idea that every time you give a consumer a new piece of information, it's like you're handing him a bowling ball. And you got to think, like, how many bowling balls can your customer hold? I mean, two, maybe three, but you hand me that fourth bowling ball and it all crashes. And I think that that analogy is really fitting that sometimes we try to give customers a bunch of reasons to buy this product. We tell them about so many features, but what happens is there comes a point where the more things we talk about, the more it actually hurts us because we've given them that bowling ball that causes them to drop the whole thing. And it might sound counterintuitive, but it's really not that you need to think about your best reasons, your best arguments, and only give those. Oftentimes I find it's one maybe two things that make the sale. Now, you need to know everything. You need to understand the technical aspects of what you're selling. You need to understand every single feature. And honestly, you need to know your competition. You need to know your competition better than the people selling it down the street. Because having that knowledge allows you to be a laser beam in a world of flashlights. You can zoom in and say, oh, okay, you were looking at this. Hey, you know, that fireplace does a lot of good things. But here's why I think this is going to be a really good fit. Your home has this going on in it, and this particular feature is really going to make the difference for you. And, and that's what you talk about. You talk about the one thing that they haven't heard about from other people that you have knowledge of based on their situation, and you can show them how it's going to solve their problem. So I thought it was an amazing conversation with Ryan, and I hope that you guys got a lot of value out of it. 
Well, hey, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash itsfiretime. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash itsfiretime. And hey, this week, we're just starting to get ramped up for the season. My hope is that you take this to heart and, and you think about when I'm advising a solution to my customers, am I giving them everything? Or am I listening really carefully to their problem and specifically giving them the one bowling ball that's going to help them solve their problem versus just dumping a whole crate of bowling balls onto them and hoping that there's something left afterwards? If you can be specific in advising a solution that solves your customer's problem, it's amazing the success that you're going to have. So hope you guys have an amazing week. We will talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn it down